The text for the sermon this day is taken from Matthew 17, which you heard earlier. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, I don't know if you realize this, but as pastors, we don't just randomly get to pick out what we want to read for the scripture readings on Sunday. We don't just go, ah, you know, that looks like a good thing to read today. Contrary, we actually follow something called the lectionary, which is a schedule of readings. There's one, there's one that's called the three-year lectionary, which is a three-year cycle of readings. And then there's the historic one-year lectionary. Well, one of the things is, is that in the three-year, for much of the year, it's kind of you're just working your way through the scriptures, except when you get towards Lent and Advent. Lent, Advent, Easter, it gets very thematic, and sometimes we lose the context. And so that is kind of the case here. So going backwards to Matthew chapter 15, is where this whole sequence of events begin. The news, you read in the very beginning of that chapter, the news of Herod celebrating a party, and he ended up having John the Baptist beheaded. That news came to Jesus. And so the crowds flocked to Jesus. And there on the side of the sea, He fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. In essence, that feeding of the 5,000 was the funeral for John the Baptist. After that, Jesus walks on water. He does some teaching. He heals the daughter of a Canaanite woman. He feeds 4,000 people. And then... He asks his disciples a question. Who do people say that I am? Or who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. And eventually he says, who do you say that I am? To which Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But it was not long before Peter would put his foot in his mouth. For Jesus would give a prediction. He said that the Son of Man would be handed over into the hands of sinful men, and he would be crucified, he would die, and he would be buried, and then on the third day he would rise from the grave. To this news, Peter could not handle it. Because the death of John was still fresh in his mind. And so he does not like the idea of his Lord, his Savior, dying. And so he simply says, and so he says it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now it's kind of interesting that Peter does this, because Peter is a disciple. The word disciple literally means follower. So the job of a disciple, and the reason they call it this, is because in the ancient world, when you, the way they did education is you didn't sit in classrooms, you weren't sitting in desks. Instead, you'd walk around town or the, the marketplace or whatever, and you would literally follow your teacher. So that way you could hear everything they, that came out of their mouth. 
So which, by the way, if anybody gets moralistic about that word follower, that means they don't understand what follower means. Follower just means student. But either way, they literally followed them. But the way the Greek works is that Peter, when he does this, he turns Jesus into his follower. He suddenly gets the idea that he's the teacher and Jesus is the follower, which is why Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. Telling Peter that, no, you're the follower. And then Jesus tells the words that if anybody wishes to be his disciple, he must pick up his cross, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow him. That leads to Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Why three people? Because three were necessary for a witness. And led them up on a mountain high by themselves. He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Which is this kind of interesting is how do they know it's Moses and Elijah? I mean, they, didn't, they couldn't go on the internet and look at pictures of Moses and Elijah. Photography didn't even exist yet. And they didn't, you know, they didn't have a baseball card, or I guess it would be a profit card in this case. They're like, oh, there's a picture of Moses, and there's his stats. They don't have that. But somehow, but they knew it was Moses, they knew it was Elijah. Almost like this is a little bit of a glimpse of heaven. That one day when you stand, when you enter into eternity, you'll be able to come up, you'll be able to walk up to people that you've never met, and you want to be like, can you tell me who you are? You'll be like, oh, hi, hi, Steve. Even though you never, and I, I'm just picking a random name. But even though you never met Steve in your entire life, you will know exactly who he is, and you'll know, you'll be able to recognize him. That's kind of those things that comes through with eternity. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. So I don't know if you've ever been in the, sometimes you find yourself in difficult situations or challenging situations, and you're wondering, what should I say? Or you don't know what to say. And you know, sometimes when a person doesn't know what to say, the best thing to do is to say nothing. Peter doesn't go with that he says, if you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now this is something that gets lost in most of our English translations. The King James actually is the only one of the few translations that translates that correctly or more clearly. The King James will translate it as, I will make three tabernacles. So in other words, they're not just asking to go camp out. Because I've heard people try to say that because if you're reading that English, like as an American, that's what it sounds like. They just wanted to camp out. What's wrong with that? No, in, if you read it in, in the Greek, the Greek word that's used there, every single time it comes up in the New Testament, it is speaking of the dwelling place of God. So what they wanted to do is build up a place of worship for Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. Jesus, yes, that's appropriate. 
Elijah and Moses know because they are servants just like Peter, James, and John. They are not to be worshipped. But that is what they are wanting to do. And to be fair, they really don't know what they're saying. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This affirms what Peter had confessed only six days earlier. And it's also a sharp rebuke to Peter, who was trying to get Jesus to listen to him instead. But you see what has happened on that mountain. Very, very much the problem that all, many, all of us deal with. We, listen to, we want to build tabernacles for more than just God. We want to build altars, places of worship, and give as much honor and glory to the things and the people of our lives and listen to their voices rather than the voice of Jesus. We listen to the media, to the news, and we, think we take everything that the news says as gospel. And when I say gospel, I don't mean good news, because let's be honest, the news is rarely good news. Even as a Vikings fan, January is not very good news often. So... But what I mean when I say we take it as gospel, we take it as if it's truth. And if it's not the, the national media, it could be a certain podcaster or an in, internet influencer or some blog site that we read. There's a temptation to treat it as if it is truth and herald that voice above all else. Or sometimes we will do that with our political leanings, whether that be on the left or the right. We hear an idea, and even if that conflicts with what Jesus has taught, we would rather go with that idea. Our culture has told us over and over that truth is in what you believe, what you feel in your heart. We're told over and over, trust yourself above all else. Seems like a good idea, but we all know that we don't always know everything. There's information that quite often we don't know. So many voices the world wants us to listen to. There's a philosopher who has been quite influential on our culture. In one of her books, she writes that if anybody tells you to deny yourself, you should not listen to them. Anybody know who told, teaches us to deny ourselves? Jesus. This same philosopher condemns anybody who says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Guess who said it's more blessed to give than to receive? Jesus. And yet be, you'd be surprised how influential this philosopher is on our political leaders and many people in our country. 
and yet we listen to that voice. Or there are those who say that while it's her body, her choice. Now most of science has actually gotten to the point that it has been able to show that yes, indeed, that is a human being inside of the womb of the woman. And so they realize they can no longer say that it's, scientifically it's not a child or not a human being. And so instead they say, well, it's only a human being if it's wanted. So what stops you from, why not kill them after a month old? And you think that sounds crazy when there actually are countries where you can abort your child up to a month after pregnancy. That is what the voices of the world are telling us. We listen to the voice of science. Now, science indeed is a good thing, but it can only tell you so much. It still has its limits. Science is a wonderful servant of the truth. But that when we are told the earth is billions of years old as a consequence of evolution, I know if you realize this, it's if evolution is true, then there is no such thing as morality. There's no such thing as right and wrong. You can do whatever. The reason something is wrong is because, well, it's just not good for the preservation, it's for the weak or the strong. If you truly hold consistently to the evolutionary worldview, if you ever hear about a school shooting or anything like that, you can't say, well, that's horrible. You can just say, oh, interesting. That just, it just happens. You'll find there is no, very few evolutionists who are actually consistent in their worldview. Because if they're consistent, then there'd be no such thing as evil. No such thing as morality. Evolution says that death isn't a tragedy. It's just the way things are. So many want to listen to that voice. So many things we want to hold up. And as I went, already mentioned it before, our very favorite voice, it's the same voice we heard that was heard in the garden from our first parents, was first the voice of the devil. So I don't know if you ever remember this from confirmation. What are the three voices we tend to listen to for temptation? The, the devil... So in the case of the garden, that was the serpent, the world. And if you ever think, you know, if it wasn't for the devil of the world, I would be just great. I should just listen to myself. Who's the, number, who's the third source of temptation? You. You don't need help from anyone to fall into sin. So we are just like Peter, James, and John struggle with the same sinful nature, wanting to worship other things. See, there's a reason this ends up right before Lent. Ash Wednesday's coming up. There's a re the reason is, first off, is just before this happens, Jesus predicts his death. Do you know what happens very shortly after this? 
He predicts his death again. Except for this time, they're smart enough to not say anything. They're just like, I don't know what he's talking about, just don't say anything. So, because last time one was called Satan. So they're like, let's keep quiet. But either way, he predicts it. When you get caught on, on Wednesday, whether you decide to get the ashes in the morning or in the afternoon or during the service or both, you'll receive that ash, a reminder that you are destined for death. Every single one of us, our bodies are decaying and the grave is our destiny. But it's made in the form of a cross. Because you see, they could not stay on that mountain. Because Jesus, as it says in Luke's Gospel, would set his face towards Jerusalem. Because he was heading for the cross. And so that cross is on your forehead as a reminder that the death of Jesus brought the death to death. Death itself would have an end in him. And those who have received that, that blessing, whenever you're baptized, the pastor says, receive the sign of the cross upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. This is why, I don't know if you've ever been to churches where they have baptismal fonts right as you enter. And so the water is actually there. They have it in the, um, the seminaries. And you know what's a good practice to do is you dip your fingers and you make the sign of the cross in remembrance of your baptism, in remembrance that you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, that you have, your sin has been washed away, you who have so many times followed after voice after voice other than the voice of your Lord by the waters of baptism, he grabs you kicking and screaming and drags you into the eternity, into salvation, gives you what you need, and he sets your eyes on him, sets your ears to hear his voice. By the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, in that baptism, you're washed in him. That cross on your forehead in the ash is symbolic of the same thing. You are a walking testimony that yes, indeed, you are a sinner, destined for death, but also, yes, indeed, you have been washed in baptism, that by the death of Jesus, you are redeemed. In baptism, you were redeemed by Christ the crucified, redeemed for eternity. And one thing, in the, until we get to that day, when we enter into that everlasting life, he gives us a wonderful taste of eternity. He gives us strength. He gives us his word. Every time the word is heard and read, you hear absolution. You receive blessing. You receive the strength. You receive grace. But also when you gather at this altar to receive his supper, and here's one of the neat things that our God gives us as we await that final day as he has us fighting the good fight, proclaiming his gospel in this world. He gives us a taste of heaven. So just as Peter and James and John got to 
see Moses and Elijah. So we, when we gather to the at the altar, we gather with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. And yes, we gather with Peter, James, John, Moses, Elijah at this altar. And this is one of the reasons why I made sure I have communion this week. Even though, as many of you know, my brother died on Tuesday. Here, I got to have supper with my brother. We were talking about, we were trying to plan it, his birthday dinner. But here, we feast together with Jesus. So, to him be all glory, in Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you the one true faith, the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.